Hello and welcome to another episode of the House That Hinky Built podcast. As always, I'm your host Jackson Frank. And today on the Sunday evening, uh, I am going to recap, discuss, break down the Philadelphia 76ers 115-103 win over the Oklahoma City Thunder. They now move to 2-0 on the road after a fourth quarter collapse against the Nets. Uh, the Sixers came back and held control for, I would say, basically the entire game, uh, led by 10 after 1, and ended up winning by 12. Uh, it, got, it was a close game, but it always felt like the Sixers were capable of, you know, a, a little bit of a spurt if they needed to to kind of distance themselves again. But uh, as I was going to, I don't want to just break down the game itself in terms of, you know, here's what happened first and, and whatnot. I want to go through a few key talking points that stood out to me throughout the game. Again, as I get continuously more comfortable with with these post-game pods, these post-game reactions, um, hopefully they become even better. But in the meantime, uh, feel free to continue giving me feedback. Always want to welcome that. So, um, obviously, the, the headlining story is Seth Curry, twenty-eight points on nine of fifteen shooting. Um, he had seven threes, six of them in the first quarter. In the first quarter alone, he had twenty-three points, uh, eight of ten from the field, six of seven from deep. Uh, was scoring on and off the ball when the Thunder ran him off the line a couple of times. He got into the paint, uh, had a finish all the way at the rim, had a little floater as well. So um, he just continues to dominate. You know, he was he had a game. He had a team high twenty three against the Nets. He had a team high twenty eight tonight. Um, went quiet uh, after that first quarter, but that first quarter gave him a lot of leeway. And then when the Sixers needed him most, uh, the Thunder down eight and they had a little bit of a run going. Seth hit a three from the left cor- left corner for his his final bucket of the game and first one since the opening frame there. But um, I want to give some context to Seth's run. So over the last eleven games, including you know dating back to. His 30-point barrage against the Wizards in round one last year. Um, he is averaging 21.6 points on 79.5% true shooting. He's shooting 62.8% from the field and 75.9, or excuse me, 62.7% from three. Only 75.9% from the line, which is hilarious. He's been on such a run you know, of these last 11 games. Um you know, excluding preseason when I say last 11. Um, but the free throws haven't been there. He's been a little uncharacteristically uh, cold from, from uh, the charity stripe there. But pretty ridiculous stretch. Uh, in the 2020-21 regular season, he scored a 20-plus points 11 times. Uh, over the last 11 games, he's done it seven times, including, I think, a couple of 30-plus uh, games. You know, I've said 28 tonight. Almost almost got to, you know, the 30-point 30 30, uh, threshold again. So pretty ridiculous run from him. Uh, you know, he he has been so good. You know, during this stretch, about taking more contested shots, uh, hunting threes, uh, just hunting jumpers in general rather than passing up looks. So, really, really impressive stretch from him. Obviously, this level of of scoring is unsustainable, but uh, just pretty pretty absurd how well he's shooting the ball. You know, these, these days, um, you know, uh, there was a long stretch in the middle, but you know, almost six months now where he's just been in fuego. So. Huge props to him, and that first quarter was was really really fun. I mean, I just just as a basketball fan, I I found myself just kind of laughing hysterically and, and cackling during that first quarter because the shot making from him um, didn't didn't seem real, and just the shot making we've seen from from these last eleven games doesn't seem real. So there will come a time where Seth will will not be this uh, hot, of course, but. Um, for now, just enjoy it. Uh, to open the year through three games, he's averaging 20 points on 88% true shooting. So uh, I think he's never really a nice year. Obviously not those numbers, but I think we're in line for a really, really good season from Seth. And 
I uh, just want to kind of give some context on the run we're seeing from him. So uh, enjoy it, Sixers fans. It's, it's been really, really fun. I know you all are. But the other thing that I wanted to talk about that I think plays into Seth's really good start to the year and you know, his, his great game you know, against the Thunder was uh, was Joel Embiid's different offensive usage. You know, For years, he has loved kind of the left block, the left mid-post area. Um, but they're really kind of expanding it, you know, his usage. We saw it, we saw some of it last year, but it feels like even a more it feels like even even more diverse uh, and drifting away from that mid post area, that left block area that he loves there on the left side. A lot of perimeter perimeter based initiation. It it kind of strikes me as though his role is shifting a little bit less as like a pure scorer, and that's not to say he just was a scorer, but like even more of an initiator of the offense these days. He's calling out sets. He's organizing guys and where to go. Um, he's running a ton of dribble handoffs. He's he's pick and popping a lot. You know, he's not a great roller, but as the jumpers really developed, he's become a pretty good pick and pop threat. So you're seeing a lot of that from him. Six assists tonight, zero turnovers. Um, those numbers are you know, assist to turnover ratio is never a number I want to use without context. But I think in watching these games, you can tell that Joel is super super comfortable. You know, directing the offense, directing things against double teams, um, and when he does get the ball in the mid post, teams are so aggressively doubling him because they know how good he is there. And for the most part, Joel is handling that superbly. He's dissecting those double teams, he's picking them apart. Um, Seth is getting a lot of good looks because he's oftentimes you know either playing that strong side as you know if he's the entry pass man and Joel, he's on that strong side. And Joel is so good if Seth's man doubles off of off, off of Seth. Uh, right on the entry pass, Joel's good that push pass back to him. He obviously has the weak side skip, which is also where where Seth plays a lot. Um, they try to avoid having Seth in that weak side wing because I think that's an area that Joel still isn't great at making those reads to as a passer out of the post. But um, you're just you're really seeing Joel um, become you know this this center initiator. Obviously, he's not he's not Nikola Jokic, but you are seeing a transition there, and I think it's really fascinating to watch. I still would like to see them get. Him the ball in the mid post a little more. I think you know he hasn't been great as a score. He was good tonight, twenty two point sixty two sixty two percent true shooting. So um, more like what we're accustomed to um, from Joel, at least based off last year. But uh, you really are seeing the full blown you know Joel Embiid primary initiator. And I don't think it's a great recipe. Like I think you know we all know that he would benefit from being you know the one being an offense. But given who the Sixers have available to them right now, they're doing what they can. I think it's a smart move. But I would like to see more. Of him in the mid post where he's so deadly, but to give some numbers, to give some kind of numbers to this to the start, uh, he entered today's game with an assist rate of twenty five point one percent. Previously, he never had an assist rate higher than eighteen point four percent, and then you know had six assists to zero turnovers today. I don't think turnovers play into assist rate, but um, you know still point being there. Now he has a fifteen to four assist to turnover ratio on the year, and I think that it's emblematic of how comfortable he looks. So. Just a really different sort of offensive usage than we're accustomed to with Joel. We saw some of it last year, but it feels, like I said, even like an even greater effort to get him the ball, let, let, let him initiate. Uh, I think he had he had an assist to Seth after he like he led a fast break today. Uh, he's done that in previous games as well. So we are seeing further evolutions of of his game that were that were the groundwork was laid last season, but it's even greater right now, and it's cool to see. Again, I, I want to see. I'm using the word see so often. I apologize here. I would like for them to give him the ball in his bread and butter area more, but it is it is a fascinating development and one that I think is going to continue to progress throughout the year and, and something that I, I do think I will write about in the near future over at Louis de Ballers in more depth. Um, but really, really cool development regardless. I think it's just a testament to how 
how much Joel has grown as a scorer, not just as a, well, not just as a scorer, excuse me, as an offensive player since he came into the league. And while it's been a weird start to the year offensively for Joel, or atypical, I guess, and even underwhelming to an extent, especially those first two games, as a scorer at least, uh, he has been nothing short of dominant defensively. Outside of that that one stretch in the Pelicans game, honestly, when he was in quote-unquote foul trouble, he's been incredible, and that remained the case against the Thunder. The amount of shots he deterred around the rim or in the paint against the Thunder today was was very, very high. Uh, he shut down a ton of ball screen actions too. I mean, he just was—he just become so good as a pick and roll defender. Something I don't think was the case before last season. I think he got better at it last season. I think, you know, a lot of people have pointed this out to me on, on Twitter, and I, I agree. Um, is that having all those reps against Trey Young and pick and rolls last year in that seven game series? I think has taken his ball screen defense to a new level. His hands are so good. I think he had another—he had another steal or a block and a pick and roll play today or on Sunday, uh, and just. His positioning is so awesome. He, I remember there's one play. I think it was in the second half against the against the Thunder, where he he shut down a ball screen, forced a pass. Shea attacked the rim. Embiid promptly stepped up, or maybe it, maybe Embiid had a deflection and the ball went somewhere else, and, and then the ball went to Shea and he attacked. And Embiid concisely and promptly stepped up to force Shea to stop short of the rim and take a floater, which Shea subsequently missed. So. Really, really impressive game for him on that end. It's it's the best I can recall Joel playing um, in the regular season defensively since I started covering him. Um, I I didn't cover him as rookie. Or I watched as a fa- as a as a fan of his game, but I didn't really cover him. And so this, I mean, this it looks like playoff Joel defensively so far through three games. He's been so so good on that end. I don't know, you know, it's too early for impact metrics to really be have a have a sustainable sample size or a, a noteworthy sample size, but. I would have to imagine he he grades out really well in those so far, like better than he, he has in a, in a few years. So really, really impressed with him. Just just so awesome defending the paint and the pick and roll to open the year. I, I can't say enough good things about it. The hands are so awesome. The positioning, the ability to both fluster the ball handler and the roller on plays has been really, really incredible. So uh, despite the down year scoring-wise and the shift in usage offensively, um, which I think has led as a little bit of just a little bit of a down down start offensively. Uh, he has been incredible on defense, and I hope that everyone is realizing that because it, it's it's the best I've seen him play in the regular season on defense over multiple games, over consecutive games, I should say, in a long while. So so kudos him for that, and it's been really really fun to watch. Uh, the other thing I want I wanted to talk about uh, George Niang obviously you know, was really good uh, against the Thunder. He had twelve points, hit three of four threes, four of eight shots overall. Was you know we've, there's been three games now and every night there's been a different top reserve. Game one it was Furkan. Game two it was Andre Drummond in my opinion, and tonight uh, it was George Niang. Um, he that quick trigger is so important. Um, they need like they just, they just needed more shooting with size and he brings that. He had a play that didn't even show up in the box score for him beyond a, beyond a beyond a missed shot. But he he caught the ball uh, like he caught the ball on the run so he could attack the lane rather than rather than catching the ball on a standstill and having to make it work. Uh, drove inside, didn't hit the didn't hit the bucket. Uh, tried to finish, but he 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 occupied Paul Reed's defender and Paul Reed had an easy easy put back dunk or put back uh, offensive rebound. So that's the sort of play that I you know people talk about this this doesn't show up in this in the box score, but it really didn't. He, he smartly caught the ball on the move to take his defender, catch his defender by surprise, occupied another defender by getting to the rim, and it opened up an easy, easy scoring chance for Paul Reed. So that's the sort of stuff that he is doing. He's he's obviously he's awesome. He's an awesome shooter as well. He's shooting 
I think close to 50% from three. He was already at 44% before uh, Sunday's game. But those are the sort of things that I think he really does help with the offense with. He's a sort of connective player. He's been setting some good flare screens as well, instinctively. But that play really stood out to me. And, you know, in addition to the, the three threes he hit, he had a play also where he led the break and then had a nice kick out to Seth Curry for a three in the first quarter. So um, a few plays on both ends where it wasn't great overall from him uh, on Sunday. But I really do think he's he's been a useful and very solid role player off the bench so far through three games for the Sixers. So um wanted to highlight that and I think this was, you know, after a tough game against the Nets, I think he really bounced back and and did what the Sixers have been praising him for, you know, through training camp and and, and whatnot what we saw at times in the in the preseason. So um really good game for George Niang out off the bench. And speaking of the bench, the the bench was good uh against the Thunder. in eight minutes uh, the Sixers were plus twelve when they had they're all bench lineup out there of Matisse Thibault for Concorkmaz, Isaiah Joe, George Niang, and Paul Reed. On the year, when you replace Paul Reed with Andre Drummond, um, the Sixers are only minus one 13 minutes with an all bench lineup. And I'm not advocating for that. I don't like that that Doc is so steadfast in this idea. But it's but it's been effective so far in the sense that like they're not they're not bleeding points uh, when when none of the starters are out there. And uh, on Sunday, they were a key reason the Sixers won that game of double digits. They opened the fourth quarter on an 11-0 run. Matisse did a step back three. The Niang play that I mentioned earlier that led to a Paul Reed bucket, uh, it was there. Niang hit a three after a after Paul Reed had a really, really nice offensive rebound and kick out. Um, Furkan hit a deep three as well. Fourth quarter Furk. Fourth quarter Furk is the, uh, is the name that the broadcast has given um, him so far. Uh, wasn't great tonight, Furkan, but... I uh, like that kind of nickname for him. He's a really fun player. So just want to highlight the bench there. I think they've they've been they've held their own, which is what you want out of the second unit. Um, again, I'm not advocating for it, but I do have to give credit where it's due. I've been harsh about for on Doc about a lot of things, and uh, one of them is the all bench lineups. But it's been effective so far. We'll see what happens when they play better teams. You know, they've only played one team right now that projects to be a playoff team uh, or any anywhere close. Obviously, maybe the Pelicans have their sights set in the playoffs, but. Without Zion, that team doesn't resemble anything close to a, a playoff contender. So, and then obviously the Thunder are you know in full-on developmental mode. So, uh, we'll we'll see what happens as the schedule gets tougher. They play the Knicks on Tuesday, uh, seven thirty you know, seven thirty p.m. So we'll see you know, against a team like that that has you know legitimate playoff aspirations, trying to win a series. Um, how they hold up, or how the how they all bench line up. How they all, all the oh, my goodness, that was a brutal uh, string of syllables. Anyhow. How the all bench lineup holds up during its minutes against a playoff caliber team like the Knicks, um, but wanted to just want to give it its credit, and I think you know Niang was the leading guy for that on on Sunday. Uh, previously, it's been Ferk. At times, it's been Drummond, but uh, they do, they have some options here, and so it's been, it's been cool to kind of see it work so far. And you know, Matisse and his step back three isn't something we're going to see very often, so that was cool as well. Um, the last thing I want to hit on today was just talking about Tyrese Maxey, who. Had a, had a tough game, honestly. Uh, I think he was 4 of 13 for uh, 13 points, I believe, or 14 points. Let me double-check here. Yeah, 4 of 13, 0 of 4 from deep, 6 of 7 from the line, 14 points. Two assists, five rebounds, one block, three turnovers. Uh, it was tough for him. He he struggled a lot defensively against um, against Shea Gildas-Alexander, which is a a big feat for him to have, or a big ta- task for him to tackle. I don't think he even got burned a ton. He just Shea is just a ridiculously good tough shot maker, and you could tell it was frustrating Tyrese. But that's the sort of thing he'll learn from, even if it's 
harmful in, in the in the interim. Uh, long term, it's going to benefit him. He'll he'll kind of realize maybe what he can do better because I don't think he got beat a lot. Shea just got to his spots, and that's something that I think a lot of young defenders, even ones who are maybe project to be good long term, struggle with figuring out how to cut guys off and get to their spots. It's something that Matisse Thibault talked about previously. Uh, if you want to mention someone in Tyrese's class, Isaac Okoro struggled with that last year, even though he was very, very good as a defender. He still struggled with, you know, taking away what guys want to do, and that's that's what Tyrese struggled with against Shea on on Sunday. So he'll learn. Uh, it was good to see him take four threes. Even better, it was good to get see him get seven free throw attempts up in comparison to only thirteen field, field goal attempts. That's a really good ratio, I think, given his speed and strength and how often he can get into the paint. You're going to want to see him get a lot of free throws. It's just you want to be able to see him generate easier shots. And so that's the sort of thing you saw uh, in in the uh, third game of the year. So, um, again, was was a poor game overall. I think he struggled with some decision-making. He got into the lane one time, I think, in the third or fourth quarter and had maybe had a shot at the rim but forced a pass to Joel that was a turnover. So um, it's going to be up and down. You know, I thought he was okay in the second game. I thought he was pretty good in the first game. Tonight was probably his worst of the three so far, not just because it was his worst shooting game. Uh, just in general, I thought he struggled. But that's that's kind of what you expect when you are tasking a 20-year-old second-year player to be your starting point guard in a team that is quite good. Um, you're going to have these growing pains. So uh, you just you want to kind of find, you know, when I'm watching these games for Tyrese, I'm trying to figure out, okay, what is, what is he doing that helps in the short term? What is he doing... That helps in the long term, and then vice versa. How is he? How is he struggling now? How is it? How does that current struggle project to impact his development long term, or what the player he could become? So, uh, it's it's going to be a fun journey, I think, just in terms of watching young players navigate everything that comes with high leverage minutes on a good team. So, um, I think it's you're just going to have to be patient with with him. And I think he's clearly someone that the fans uh, have latched onto, and so I don't think by any means he's going to receive a ton of ire, but. You just gotta know that it's gonna be—it's just gonna be uneven for for him as he adjusts to this new role, just as it was last season. He got better as the year went on, but um, he's in a new role again. So I think you're gonna see him be a much better player by December and January and February and, and so on than he is now, which is fine. That's what you want to see, but it's gonna just require some patience. You know, I think Sixers fans have really big expectations and for him, and, and justifiably so because I think he's going to be an excellent player. But expectations those have to be anchor long term not about who he is currently even if you are looking for growth from your launch i think we're i think we've already seen a little bit of but you you want to see more of it but just patience is what i would would i wouldn't say implore which is what i would advocate for i'm not i'm not it's not even that i've seen people down on tyrese by any means i'm just kind of giving my thoughts here that maybe are (laughs) presented incoherently and again i apologize for some of the disorganization on this pod but I hope it's been informative. I hope it's been succinct and a good recap of the Sixers' win. They're now 2-1 and one on the year. As I said, they will face the New York Knicks, who are 2-1 and one as well, uh, in Madison Square Garden on Tuesday at 4.30. 4.30 Pacific, excuse me, 7.30 local. Uh, apologies, that's what happens when you cover an East Coast team as a West Coaster. But um, again, I hope you've enjoyed this. Please provide any feedback. Um, tell me what I'm doing well. Tell me what I'm doing poorly. How can I make this the best possible listening experience for all of you? Because I really do appreciate the support. All of you have been so kind as I've done this podcast over the last few months. It really does uh, mean a lot to me. So I'll be back on Tuesday to recap uh, another Sixers game, uh, their, their second division game of the year. But in the meantime, be happy, be healthy, stay safe, be well. I'll talk to all of you again soon.